0: Recently, uh, someone gave us the game of life a- as a gift. And-, and Theo and May have just, they have eaten this game up. And if you're not familiar with this game, it, it takes you from college to retirement. A- and everything that happens in this game is about bringing in more money. You go to college so that you can make more money. You choose whichever career will make you the most money. Everything is about the money. And that's because while money cannot buy happiness, it can basically buy anything else. Uh, which is why some refer to money as the almighty dollar. And so what I want us to do tonight is to spend some time looking at what God's will for our money is. See, so unlike the, the non-moral decisions that we looked at last week, Scripture actually speaks rather uh, clearly about what God's desire for our money is. And so uh, remember, of course, uh, that when we say God's will, we mean his desire to see us reflect his holiness, to become more and more like him. And so, so here's the question we're answering tonight. How should we use our money to reflect God's holiness? What does God want us to do with our money? And we're going to look at three things that I think are quite clear from scripture, and, and again, because of the nature of the talk, we're going to be hopping around a little bit. But if you have a handout, you can, you can follow along. So, uh, the, the first thing that God's desire for our money is is that we would steward our money wisely. Uh, do you all remember the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25? How, how a man goes on a journey and he entrusts you know, five talents to one, three talents to another, and one talent. To the final servant. And we typically plug in anything that God would give us as a talent. But, but we should know that in the original context, a talent is money. It's about $28,000 worth. Uh, and, and so from this passage, we can draw just a few conclusions right away about money. Here's the first thing. God doesn't give everyone the same amount. It's right there in the text. He gave more to one than the other. There are going to be people in this life who are given more money than you, and there are going to be people that most likely are given less money than you. That's okay. Uh, God seems less concerned about the amount and way more concerned about how that wealth is stewarded, Uh, which is is really the second thing from Matthew 25 that we want to, to draw out, that God expects us to steward our wealth wisely. Now, um, in case you aren't familiar with this concept of stewardship, how many of you have ever babysat someone before? Okay, if you were a babysitter, you are a steward of a child. Right? Because that child is not yours. And and yet, you are responsible for that child's well-being and to make sure for the two, three, four hours that you have them that they are thriving. The same thing here. To steward wealth, means that it is not ours. Notice that, that the, the, the man who gives the talents in Matthew 25 does not say, here, they're yours now. No, he, he expects the, the servants to justify, to explain to him what they did with the wealth. And so the expectation here is that we steward uh, the wealth that we are given wisely. That's the thrust of Matthew 25. And there are a lot of people in our church, there's even a few here this evening, who can speak to how to do that well, how to do that successfully, to, to save and invest and, and tithe and all these things. But, but what I want us to see, and I hope you felt the, the uncomfiness in Second Corinthians 9 as I was reading, but part of, of God's will for our money is apparently to be generous with it. Uh, did, did you notice that, that he, he tells us in, um, in verse 7 that, that we need to, to give bountifully, uh, which, which implies that we're doing so sacrificially, that it's not just, well, I have some excess money, so I'm going to give. But there's a, a sense of sacrificially giving. We, we don't do so reluctantly or because someone is twisting our arm. It's to be something done cheerfully. Uh, and, and joyfully, and that that really seems impossible doesn 't it like i don 't know i don 't know how you are with giving, but typically the way my mind works is, okay, how much do I need to give? How much is God requiring me to give that 's not what paul 's talking about here though he 's implying. Uh, uh, a generosity that's not about um, a, a set percentage or number, and, and we struggle with that a lot. Uh, and that's that's because of the the second thing we need to realize that, that it, is that God's will for our money is that we not love it, that we not love our money. Uh, you, you might be familiar in 1 Timothy six ten. It tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, not that money itself is bad, money is amoral, um, but the love of money really messes us up. And, and, and just to, to speak frankly, the love of money is just flat out greed. It's a preoccupation with wealth, with, with possessions, with, with money. And the Bible has a lot to say about greed because it is trying to convince each one of us that we're greedy. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't know anyone who's greedy. I certainly am not. Until you understand how it plays out in your life. Um, Greed can take two different forms. And my guess is you'll see yourself in one of these two forms. Um, Greed will play out in you delighting in money and what it can purchase for you. So this is, this is when you, you are preoccupied with wealth and you have that wealth. And so, so the people that are like this are the ones that go on and on about the vacations they went on, the, the new iPhone they just went out and bought because they could, or a new car or what have you. They, they find ways to always come back and talk about money and their possessions, or what they are able to buy. They love money. But did you know that you can love money and not have it? Uh, that, that, that's the, the flip side of things. That, that sometimes greed plays out in our lives as anxiety about money. That's whenever we are preoccupied with money and we don't have it. Um, and and if, if I can be honest with you, the times that I have been most anxious about money, it's not because I thought my family was going to starve. I just wanted more of it, I, I, and so do you, I guess you see what I'm, I'm trying to say, that, that greed is not just the overt, I want to have all the things. You can not have a lot of money and, and still be in love with it, and, and the reason that's so deadly, it's so destructive, is because it, it dehumanizes you, it, it takes you in the opposite direction. Of where God is trying to lead you, um, it turns you into um, a Scrooge McDuck, really. Uh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, and, and so, so here's the tension: God's will for us is that we would be generous with our wealth to steward that, our money wisely. But, but because of our innate love of money, our belief that it will provide us security and significance and happiness and all these things, uh, we never are going to do this. And so the question is how? How can we be generous? Um, how can we reflect God's generosity? And to do so, we really need to understand how God has been generous to us. Uh, this is one of the great themes of Scripture that I, I hope that if you've been coming long enough, you've, you've picked up on, that Genesis 1 and 2 really open up with God as the generous host. That he, he, he builds a world and provides everything that Adam and Eve could want or need. And, and so he provides all of this for them and he asks them to trust that he is, in fact, the generous host uh, but of course, if you know this story in Genesis three, Adam and Eve don't believe that. They they hear about this one tree and they think, Ah, if God is so generous, then why isn't He giving me that tree? God is withholding the best things from me. It's this this scarcity mindset that God is withholding something from me, and and, and that's that's why we gravitate to money because we think, Ah, if I can hold on to this, then then I will be satisfied. And so for us to be generous, we have to understand how God has been generous to us. And there's a lot of places we could go, but I think the most straightforward place to look um, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 8 and 9. So Paul, just for context, has been talking a lot about um, wealth and giving generously. And, and he, he is instructing the, the Corinthians to do so. And then verse eight, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that you, your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Is one of the greatest exchanges that we see in Scripture, that, that Jesus, who, who was rich, who had everything, he sets that all aside. He embraces our poverty so that we, on the other hand, might be rich. See, when, when we understand that, that all of this generosity has been thrust upon us, it has been poured out and lavished upon us, it's what, it's what shifts things from it being an obligation uh, to a joy. Uh, it, it shifts things from being how much must I give to how much can I give? Because God has given me infinitely more. And, and that's that's how giving, even sacrificial giving, can be done joyfully and, and cheerfully. Because we have experienced firsthand God's generosity toward us. We don't just manufacture the generosity, we simply reflect the generosity that we've experienced. And so let's let's land the plane. So so God's will is that you use your wealth, whatever amount that is, wisely, which does include being sacrificially generous with it. And that's hard. It's hard, and frankly, we won't do it unless unless we're able to grasp and understand God's generosity to us. Until we grasp how God has, has, has been rich toward us, then and only then will we be rich toward others.